Jones and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Here's a name we haven't talked about in a while. Yeah, Lamar Jackson. And not here, obviously. He's not coming here. No. But his ability to impact what happens here. And I hadn't thought about this at all until I saw a story today on ProFootballTalk.com as we welcome you back to the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Story I saw on ProFootballTalk.com. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com reports the Colts have not ruled out a pursuit of Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Now, the report goes on to say that while a run of Jackson remains a possibility for the Colts, the team, quote, has not taken any substantive steps regarding Jackson. According to report, the team sources have expressed skepticism at about an attempt to woo Lamar Jackson. So on the one hand, he's saying they haven't ruled it out. But on the other hand, he's saying they don't sound like they're really positive about it. They don't sound like it's something they really want to pursue. That's playing both sides of the fence right there. It sure is. I mean, it's a really, you really threaten that needle there, you know, to say, we haven't ruled it out, but we're just not that excited about doing it. And all I could think about when I read this story was not Lamar Jackson going to the Colts. All I could think about is how that would impact the Cardinals of the draft with a potential deal with the Indianapolis Colts moving from three to four. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that Baker Mayfield is a starting quarterback in this league right now, and Lamar. nobody wants Lamar Jackson, but somebody wanted Baker Mayfield. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Like, there's a lot of things that don't make any sense. Like, all these teams that apparently didn't want Lamar Jackson. Really? You didn't want the guy who was the MVP? Like, he's a really good quarterback. I'd like Lamar Jackson on my team. But for some reason, now, you know, I don't know what it is. Is it is it the guaranteed money? Are people scared about the injuries? Do they think he peaked too soon? He's going to be out of the league quickly because of the wear and t- I don't know. I don't know. Is there collusion? Uh, could be. Could be because of the guaranteed money that he may want in his contract because he's his own agent. But there's a lot of teams that, you know, kind of came out. And they don't usually do that. Did they come out and say they didn't want Baker Mayfield? No, but they came out and they didn't want just one by one. Like, they're not interested in Lamar Jackson. Like, man, why? Did, how did that? Happened. And it happened quickly. Right, one, two, really, three, four, five. Like, really why? quickly within Lamar Jackson getting tagged. You hit, oh, sources saying Houston's not interested. Houston's saying Carolina's not interested. Atlanta. Atlanta's not interested. All these teams, Miami's yeah. not interested. All these teams out of nowhere said that they weren't interested in Lamar Jackson. Why? It, it almost, you're right, it felt coordinated. It felt like it was it was communicated, like collusion. I, I And I don't know if it was collusion or not, but it felt it was so instantaneous and it was so simultaneous that it kind of had that feel to it. And it wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look for the NFL. It wasn't a good look for the owners. At I mean, all listen, to unless he there. tries to make it really ugly. Now, apparently, like, there's, there's reports out there that his, you know, his representative has reached out to teams to tell them he's ready to move on from the Ravens. So it does look like he's getting the word out there. I'm ready to move on. Somebody wants me. I'm ready to play for them. Now, I don't know what the contract situation is or not, but I mean, Lamar Jackson's been a pretty damn good quarterback in this league. Yes, there's been some injuries, but there's been injuries. We've seen Kyler Murray get injured. Like, you know, quarterbacks get hurt sometimes. Not everyone can play, you know, all 17 games every year. Doesn't happen like that. Uh, but the, the, the interesting thing is still the Colts, because if the Colts are able to get Lamar Jackson, then it takes them out. It takes the dream scenario off the board. Yes. It's the only thing it takes off the board. It takes the dream scenario of getting Will Anderson at four and getting a few extra picks from the Colts off the board. Now, you can still trade number three but you might trade to a position that you're no longer able to get Will Anderson. Yeah, no, you can still trade, and you certainly can still just stay put at number three and not do anything and take Will Anderson. It doesn't stop the Cardinals from getting Will Anderson, and to your point, it doesn't stop the Cardinals from making
making a trade, it just stops them from doing both. And that's why it's the dream scenario is to be able to accomplish a trade and get Will Anderson. He's the dream, I think, for just about everybody involved with the Cardinals, at least for those of us who are following it here. I think with Lamar, it really comes down to an either or situation. It is either nobody wants him because he's insisting on the majority of his contract being guaranteed and nobody wants to do that. And that, you know, whether you want to call that collusion or not, whatever. Or it's the DeAndre Ayton situation. Everybody knows Baltimore is going to match it. We're not going to negotiate with him for you. We're not gonna we're not gonna work hard and come up with a deal that you're just gonna take ninety seconds to match the way the Suns took ninety seconds to match the Pacers offer to DeAndre Ayton. We're not gonna do we're not gonna do your dirty work for you because we know that no matter what we do, you're gonna match it. Is he so gonna, we're not gonna bother? Is he gonna play on that tag, or is he gonna hold out? That's like that's the big that's question. The question is he does he play under the tag because he's obviously not getting the long term contract and the security. What does he does he hold out? What does his advisors tell him that he should do? That's a great question. I I don't know. I don't know what. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell once held out. He gets tagged. It's what thirty two. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you're playing for five million dollars. Yeah, it's thirty. He didn't get the exclusive, which would have been forty five. So right? I think it's thirty two million four. And then he'd be in a situation where I suppose he'd get, get tagged again if he wanted to, and he could do the Kirk Cousins thing or the Carlos Dansby thing, if you will, getting tagged a couple of times. Maybe that's what he's wanted this whole time. I I don't know. I, I, I Could he? Would he play under that? I suspect that he would. $32 million not five. is a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money to turn your back to and say, no, I don't want. Yeah, it's just incredible like how much he may have botched this by not having it. Because an agent probably would have made sure that he had his, like Kyler's agent. Say what you want about Eric Burkhardt, man, but he took care oh, of his client. He played it. Oh, no. Man, he, no. Got his, like, he did a great job. Right. We all mocked him for the single-spaced, all-cap, you know, right. uh, memo that he sent out. He um, gets an A+. Plus. He, for, for representing his client? Damn right he does. He gets an A+. Plus. Yeah. He, he nailed it. His client's completely taken care of. Yeah. No risk, injury, and everything He's completely taken care of. If he would have played for $5 million last year and then got injured, where would the Cardinals be with Kyler Murray right now? Think about this. If, if they didn't force the Cardinals to give him that contract and he played last year at $5 million, they could pick up, they would have picked up the option this year at, what was it, 27 I think. And then, and then where are you? Where where are you? Where where's Kyler Murray? Where's like where are the Cardinals? He doesn't have a quarter billion dollars coming to him. No, right? no, he doesn't. No, and he and he didn't play very well. And when he did play, he was injured. You might could you be at the point right now where the Cardinals like, hey, I might take the third pick and just draft a quarterback with it? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine? You, you got a, what? Honestly, you got a declining Kyler Murray who's on his last year of his deal. That might be where the Cardinals would be at. If 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 Eric Burkhardt some people might be talking about that forced it. Oh, right. I'm sure. Take the Kyler Murray extension off the board. He played last year, five million, and then there's another. I think twenty seven million and, coming to and him you're this assuming year. Assuming he played the way he played last year, yeah, right? which was not good. Which was not good. Which was enough that it might give you. I mean, there were second thoughts in Chicago about whether they should hold on to Lance Fields and take a quarterback at number one. You don't think those same questions would exist for the Cardinals at number three? Sure, they would. Absolutely, they would. If Kyler had played the way he did and got hurt and did have a contract extension to fall back on, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that you would have definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, the Bears weren't sure what they were going to do with Justin Fields, so they weren't 100% sure. But I think in the end, they decided, okay, we're going to keep him, we're going to build around him. I think there would be a lot of people pushing the Cardinals to draft a quarterback if Murray had never done that extension right now. Yeah, I tend to I tend to think you're right. That would at least be a possibility. If your bracket is busted, don't worry. Not mine. March Maniacs, you still have a shot of $500. You're not eligible for that, by the way. Text the word BUCKS to 620-620. We'll send you a link. You can fill out your 16-team bracket. Bracket. Again, text the word "bucks" to six twenty six twenty. It is the Arizona Sports Bracket Box. It is presented by Santan Ford and Schwartz Laser Eye Center. Yes, they're not getting the calls on their end of the floor. They're not doing themselves any favors on the defensive end either. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Back here on the Burns and Gambo Show on this Tuesday afternoon. Next up for the Suns, they take on the L.A. Lakers tomorrow in Los Angeles as their quote-unquote road trip continues. They came home after losing Oklahoma City. Then they'll fly out to Los Angeles. They still have Sacramento this week. They have a brutal pack-to-back on Friday and Saturday. At Sacramento on Friday, home against Philly on Saturday. Oh, man. Or, uh, I'm sorry, at Sacramento on Friday. Home against Philly on Saturday is what I meant to say. Yeah. Brutal. That's, Off. that's brutal. That's a brutal battle. Philly's back. playing really good right now. And of course, he's playing out of his mind. He's probably the MVP over Jokic. I, I got to imagine I the way the, the Nuggets have played lately mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, that would mean that Jokic's MVP candidacy is taking a little bit well, of a And it's also think. the way Joel Embiid has played. I mean, his last 10 games have been just simply remarkable. He's doing things that just other players have not done. So it's, he's playing great. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, the focus of a lot of the fans' mm-hmm. attention continues to be on two things. Continues to be on Kevin Durant when he's going to come back. Yesterday, Sham Sharania had a report suggesting that it might be 10 days, that we might be getting close to when he's going to be back. We looked at the calendar yesterday. If it's 10 days, that puts him back with about six games left in the regular season. Maybe he only plays in five of them because there's a back to back in there, too. We'll see about that. And then, of course, the officiating. We talked a lot about that yesterday after what happened on Sunday against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Here's Jay Williams on with Wolf. Wolf and Luke today on the physicality of the Suns and why it leads to the calls they're not getting. If you're a physical team, like that would be my mantra to go against Phoenix. I'm going to try to out-physical them. I'm going to try to get them off their game. Because at the end of the day, like if Kevin Durant is slightly unsure of his physical ability because he's coming off back-to-back injuries... Like the rest of the crew, like I, I do wonder about that soul there. And I know that KD can bring that soul and raise it. They're not a physical team. They're not. I mean, DeAndre Ayton, not a physical player. Devin Booker, not a physical player. Chris Paul, not a physical player. Kevin Durant, not a physical player. You go through Landry Shamit, not a physical player. Ish Wayne Wright, okay, Ish is physical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Damian Lee, not a physical player. Bismack Biombo has a physical presence to him, but Jock Landell doesn't. Like, there's... There's not a lot of physicality on that. And that's why, like, the East is is the tougher. The teams in the East are tougher to get through than the teams in the West for the Suns. Like, they'd have a much harder time trying to get through Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly in the East, teams that are physical, compared to the teams in the West that are more finesse. Yeah. And that, of course, all of this ties back into the free throw conversation. And our colleagues over at Bright Side of the Sun, we cite their work often uh, because they do such really good work. Uh, Dave King, their lead writer, had a story yesterday about the fouls. And I'll, I'll play the soundbite from Monty. This is 
after the Oklahoma City loss on Sunday afternoon, in which he is encouraging his team to stop complaining about the officials. We can't keep complaining about the officials when you know we look at all these teams that we're playing and we're giving up 36 free throws. You know, we just got to be able to guard the ball without slapping down and, and be okay with that. And so. It's a, it's a tough loss because uh, we felt like we had control of the game. The numbers that back that up, according to Bright Side of the Sun, the Suns have committed the fifth most fouls in the NBA. They were 12th a year ago. They're allowing the fourth most free throw attempts per game, about 25 per game. Um, they allowed the seventh most last year. Since February 9th, so the better part of the last month and a half, 15 games or so, they have been the worst in the NBA at allowing 28 free throws per game. Now, granted, and they point out, there's a game against Giannis in there. There's a game against Luka in there. There's a game against Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Those are three guys who get a lot of calls. And I'm sure that leads to a lot of the complaining from the Suns on the calls that they're not getting. So I'm sure Devin Booker wants similar treatment to what Luka gets and what Shea Gilgis-Alexander gets and what Giannis gets. They're kind of different players, though. And just so before focusing on the calls the Suns aren't getting, let's focus on the calls that they're committing on the other end. They they, they commit a lot, and that's something that Akogi's not great at, and Tory Craig's not great at. I mean, they, they get called a lot on the other end, and that's something I think Monty wants them to clean up in a big hurry. Well, you know, Chris is a slower player. Um, Devin's got better defensively. He has gotten better defensively. He's not a great defensive player. You just look at their players, and you'd be like, okay, you're not, it's not like this... And 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 some of these stats were still there when Mikael was here, right? When Mikael was part of the team, some of them were. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, some of them were losing Mikael and Cam Johnson. Bridges obviously was really good at defending without fouling very much, but yes. a lot of the games where the opponent took ten more free throws than the Suns, a lot of those happened before the trade. A lot of those happened yeah. while Mikael was still here. Yeah. See, I don't think it's an official. I think it's it's the, that this is the way this team was built. This team was built to hit mid range jump shots move the ball around a whole lot and not have a lot of fouls called on them. And defensively, you know, the re I mean, you know, you're talking about going up against players like Giannis and Shea Gilgis Alexander and Luca and those guys are great at getting to the free throw line, but it's not just those guys. Other guys get into the free free throw line too. And you know, it's a lot of silly fouls. DeAndre, you know, a lot of times DeAndre gets silly fouls. Yes, he does. You know, so it's just it's basketball IQ. It's like, you know, I've heard Eddie Johnson scream at the TV a couple times like why you know why are you fouling you got to know the situation and so sometimes they you know that I just think it's awareness you got to be aware of where you are and when to foul and when not to foul so uh, I'm not surprised where those numbers are but I think that's almost a reflection of how this team was built yeah and, and I think the other thing too and I think those are all good points I think the other thing too is that we often look at the discrepancy between free throws attempted free throws made between the other team and the Suns and we think boy that's not fair that's not right whatever but the Suns, I mean, think about it. Last year, they were one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. Most of the time, they could overcome a difference like that. Most of the time, we're not noticing a difference like that because the Suns were such a well-oiled machine offensively. And Dave points this out on bright side, too. This year, it's been different. Cam Johnson missed basically half the year. Devin Booker missed basically half the year. Kevin Durant's played three games with the Suns since the trade. Offensively, they have been nowhere near.
near the team we envisioned them being at the start of the season. They've just been missing too many guys. When you, when they get Kevin Durant back, and when they're at their peak performance offensively, we might not notice the free throw discrepancy as much because the Suns will be such an offensive juggernaut. They haven't achieved that this year. They've been missing too many guys for them to achieve that kind of level of offensive greatness. And that's why we start to notice the free throw thing more because the Suns have been struggling so much offensively. Yeah, I think teams that, that have an anchored defensively, a shot-blocking presence, you know, you, you tend to not foul and let a guy go because you've got that security blanket behind you. Say what you want about DeAndre Ayton. He's not a shot blocker. No, he's not. He's not an intimidating defensive presence. He's a good defensive rebounder, but he's not an intimidating shot blocker. So that could be one of the reasons why you see in the fouls is because you feel like you got to hang with your guy because you don't have that guy behind you. You've got a Rudy Gobert behind you. If you got a true shot blocker behind you, you get beat. Sometimes you're like, okay, I got beat. I'm not going to foul. I got this guy behind me. He's going to make sure that he doesn't get an easy basket. And I know, look, when we talk about the fouls, the Suns aren't kidding. A lot of the focus is on Devin because he's the superstar. He expects the superstar treatment. I don't think he always gets it. And I think that leads to some of the complaining that we talked about yesterday. But if we're going to talk about guys who need to go to the line more, and I'm sorry, it's this is going to be broken record time for the next 30 seconds. Hey, DeAndre Ayton looking at you. Looking at you. Because, I mean, there, there's a level of physicality to his game that simply does not exist. And he does not force the referees to make calls in his benefit because he does not play with a level of force required to get those calls. You can look at him all you want, but that's not who he is. Like, you know, and I'm a big believer in this. I mean, it's you may see it on occasion, but that's just not who he is. He's more of a finesse center than he is a physical center. You may want him to be there because he's a good free throw shooter. If he went to the free throw line, he's a decent free throw shooter. Pretty good, to be honest with you. But I don't know that, you know, you're either born with that aggressiveness and you're not. And I think over five years of watching DeAndre Ayton play, I don't don't think that's going to change very much. I got a point I want to make about Mikael Bridges Go next ahead. time. Well, I'll just make it real quick. Yep. All right. Dave also points out in the article that since the trades, it's Mikael went to Brooklyn. The number of free throws he's taking per game have gone up dramatically. Like, he has become a different player in Brooklyn. He has become a more aggressive player in Brooklyn. And it's led to him going to the line much more than he ever did here. He's also the here. number one guy instead well, of the number three or number four guy. No doubt that makes a difference. But he Huge. he writes, I don't know what to say about the free throw boom except this. If Mikel can do it, why can't another young Phoenix Sun figure it out in DeAndre Ayton? I mean, it's, it's Mikel's taking his game to a brand new different level in Brooklyn. We'd all love DeAndre Ayton and do the same thing. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the latest mocks are starting to get this very same familiar look to them for the Cardinals. They're just not all necessarily taking the same path to get there. We'll look at a few examples next on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, switching gears for just a moment. That is a really good point that Eric brought up in his Sports Center update a second ago. I'm really anxious to watch Merrill Kelly tonight in the World Baseball Classic final. I don't know how long he's going to last. I don't know how. I think it's going to be a really short hook for him, a little quick leash, uh, short leash for him. That's a good question. But uh, because everything everything I've read about tonight's game is that Mark DeRosa's got a Really full bullpen, ready to go. Kelly wasn't so hot his first time out. But what I'm interested to see is that this is, in some ways, the most significant baseball game Merrill Kelly's ever pitched in in his life. Yeah. How does he do? It's a lot. I mean, Team Japan, Team USA, right. the World Baseball Classic. Is Otani pitching? 
they don't he's not starting but the belief is that he could come in relief later okay. in the game and maybe close it out or be in a high leverage situation later a lot of people are excited about Otani versus Trout like if we get a Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout matchup at some point in that game, I think people think he's gonna pitch, but he's not starting the game. Okay. Just from okay. a di- from a selfish Diamondback standpoint, knowing that it's it's been a while since the Diamondbacks have played games in like this, and certainly Merrill Kelly's never really been in a game like this for the Diamondbacks. How does he do? How does he perform? Two innings, three innings, four, I, five. I, I, I mean, it's know. the end of spring. It's the end of spring training here. Uh, I, Their arms are worked out to the point where you know they could go five innings. Not a problem. Right, so in the beginning of spring training, pitched enough like he could go five. He could, but I don't think they would let him throw that many pitches. The thing is, you can get hurt in a spring training game. Of course, it, okay, it, you can get hurt in a spring training game. I don't know. You're going to exert yourself a lot more in a World Baseball Classic final than you were in a would in a spring training game against the Rangers. No doubt. Look, I, I think the limit he can throw is 95 pitches. Everything I read about this game is that he might go one time through the lineup, and that's it. Okay, like like you would see a starter in a game six or game seven of the World Series. Uh, Zach Buchanan on his Twitter account asked a question to Zach Gallen. Uh, me, what you got Merrill Kelly doing tonight? Zach Gallen's answer: They will speak of him alongside George Washington and Paul Revere. Close quotes. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be like that for Merrill. Wow. We'll see. Um, the starting lineup for Team USA tonight: Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. Goldie, Nolan Arenado, Kyle Schwarber, <laughs> Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, Cedric Mullins, Tim Anderson, Merrill Kelly is the pitcher. That's a murder. It's just a murderer's row. Yeah, facing with Team USA. So is our country into this now? Um, I think baseball fans are into it. Okay. They, I, I don't know how much you've been paying attention because I know you've been sick. Some of these games I they played, the, I watched the all like a lot of the highlights of the Japan walk off against Mexico yeah, last I mean, night. Some of like three or four of the games these past weeks have been classics. Have just been absolutely extraordinary. I don't think Merrill's going to pitch very deep into the game. I really don't. But for the time that he's out there, how does he handle that pressure? How does he handle that stress? Because we just have not seen him pitch in a game of this kind of magnitude ever for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. I can't this wait be, to like, see how he does. The pitches are different. They're more taxing than if you're pitching in a regular spring training game. All right, I got diverted there just because the, right, the Sports Center update was what so good. This, what time's that start? Four o'clock, right? Four, Four o'clock? o'clock. Okay. Four o'clock. We'll have it on in here. It's it's All already right. on in here. We'll we'll keep an eye and see what they end up doing. So we mentioned earlier the mock draft with Mel Kiper Jr. I think it was the third one he's released so far, and he, like a lot of mockers, are really starting to get behind this idea of the Arizona Cardinals just trading one spot down with the Indianapolis Colts. I love it. It's been this is been one of the main projections for the Cardinals since the mock drafts came out with the belief that they don't need a quarterback but Indianapolis does it's been a, it's been highly highly talked about in the mock circuit world yep that trade yeah in particular since the trade of the number one overall pick that has kind of put the Cardinals in this position of power that we've been talking about for two weeks now yeah it seems as if everybody's kind of caught on to it this one this mock draft from the 33rd team website uh, the Colts move up one spot and all that they give up is their second round pick number 35 overall which again take fine. It. Take, it. It. take it a heartbeat done you get a second round pick and hopefully you trade Hopkins and you get a second round pick and all of a sudden now you have a lot of control 
goal of that draft in the second round. Think about if you were the Cardinals and you trade Hopkins for a second and you pick up a second by moving down one spot and you've got your own second. I mean, that is a, you're gonna, that second round is going to be gold for the Arizona Cardinals. Hopefully, hopefully you like redo a lot of your roster with that second round. Well, I mean, if you wanted to. You could use one of them in combination with other picks that you have and move back into the first could, round if you, you were could. so inclined. Yep. yep. If there was a player falling that you felt like you weren't going to be able to get in the second round, you would certainly have inventory to move back in if you wanted to. So the 33rd team says a trade back. And if you missed it, Kuiper's mock had the Colts giving up more than that. They had the Colts giving up the second and a third round pick to move up one spot. This mock just has a second round pick. Whatever you can get is great. I, I mean, it, it's and you still get Will Anderson. You get Will Anderson, and you get extra inventory. I, I don't, I don't know if it really matters how much. Daniel Jeremiah, you mentioned his mock earlier today. Um, he has no trades for the Arizona Cardinals. He just has them staying put at number three and taking Will Anderson. He does, however, write. I won't be surprised if the Cardinals trade this pick to Indianapolis, Seattle. Or Las Vegas. If they stay here, Anderson makes the most sense for a team that desperately needs a difference maker like, on the defensive cover line. Cover your tracks. You throw in three potential teams that need a quarterback that may want to move up and get one. You throw Seattle in there, even though they got Geno Smith. You know, you go, you throw a Vegas in there, even though they got Jimmy Garoppolo, because you're not sure on those two guys if they're long term answers in Seattle and Vegas. And you throw Indianapolis in because they need a quarterback and they're the most likely to move up. You probably got to play a bluffing game if you're going to get there. The one thing I will say, you, you referred to Kuiper's draft earlier with the trade because Jeremiah's got, I mean, um, not, Jer- not Jeremiah, but the 33rd has the Cardinals getting pick number 35, second round, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make that trade. I believe in Kuiper's, in Kuiper's suggestion, I think, what does he got? Second and third. It's a second and a third. So the trade down would give the Cardinals a second and a third round. So number 35 and 79, which that's a big difference, right? That's a big, one extra oh, third round sure. pick. That's a huge difference in what the draft compensation is from one mock draft I, to another. All I'm saying is I wouldn't get hung up on getting more from Indianapolis <clears throat> if it just means moving down one spot and getting Will Anderson. And that's, could you get more from somebody else? Yes. But am I going to get upset if Indianapolis is only offering me a second round pick no. as opposed to a second and third? No, because I'm just moving down one spot. I'm Look, still getting the best non-quarterback in the draft. Even moving down one spot does save you a little bit of money in guaranteed money and signing bonus and cap space. A little bit, not a lot, but not a little lot. bit. And But picking up that extra pick would be gold right there. Now, what I thought you were going to say, and what's interesting to me with both of these mocks as well, is that the Kuiper mock and the Jeremiah mock, neither one of them are concerned. Well, no, Kuiper's mock is has this. Has the Seattle Seahawks still taking a quarterback at number five? Like, not worried about the Geno Smith thing at all. Still taking a quarterback. We've seen some mocks where the Raiders are still taking a quarterback. That's one of the big unanswerable questions about this draft a month out. The teams that went out and got quarterbacks, how committed are they to those quarterbacks now? How committed are the Raiders to Jimmy G? How committed are the Seahawks to Geno Smith, or are they still looking to get their quarterback to the future in this draft? That is a big question that we'll get answers to when we get closer to the draft. I think the answer is in the length of the contract, right? I mean, Seattle can get off of Geno in what? Is it one year? A year, if they want. I mean, so that doesn't seem like a huge... What about Garoppolo? I think the Raiders can get off of it after two, I think, with relatively uh, little resistance. So that would just tell you right there, they're they're not pot committed to those guys. Um, so would they draft? The, they'd have to love the quarterback. 
Because how often do you are you at the top of the draft to where you can get that quarter? It's a lot harder to get that quarterback because you got to give up a lot of inventory if you're in the middle of the draft. Yeah, then there was a third that I saw, and this was Pete Prisco's first mock draft. He's the lead NFL writer for CBSSports.com. He has the Cardinals staying put, taking Will Anderson at number three, not making any trade. He's got Will Levis going number four to the Colts. He's got Anthony Richardson. That's the one I was thinking of. He's got Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, going number five to Seattle. Seattle Seahawks. So he's got the Seahawks taking a quarterback no matter what. And the other thing, too, I will not criticize the Cardinals staying at three and taking Anderson because I kind of favor that, but I prefer the move down. Uh, but as I've said, and I'll continue to say this up until the draft now, I'm not going down any further than four. One other thing real quick, uh, in both the Jeremiah Mock and the mm-hmm. Kuiper Mock, they do not predict big falls for Jalen Carter. Right now, Daniel Jeremiah has Jalen Carter fifth. Mel Kuyper Jr. has him sixth. Boy, that was interesting, huh? They do not predict a big fall. So, and this is after he didn't even have a great pro day. He was 10 pounds heavier at his pro day than he that was might, at the scouting. That might line. tell you that a lot of the, and that might be a sign that a lot of the other players in this draft are not on par with what Anderson and Carter are. Yes. I mean, I might tell you that, you know, listen, there's, there's the Anderson clear cut top guy, Carter the clear cut second guy, and the third guy, there's such a big gap between Carter and the third guy that even with all the red flags, he's still better than a lot of these guys. Of course, you're listening to us now. You can also listen to the Burns and Gambo show podcasts. You can subscribe right now on your Android or your Android or your iPhone, and you won't miss any of the show. The Burns and Gambo show is brought to you by Carol Royce, your home sold guaranteed realty. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. That's carolhasthebuyers.com and start packing. There is one guy that could be very pivotal for the success of the Phoenix Suns going forward. Who is it? And what does he have to do? We'll talk about it next. Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. John Gambadoro, Dave Burns, live from the Arizona Sports Studios here, the Yachin Community Studios on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Dwayne Rankin, the beat writer who covers the Phoenix Suns for AZ Central, just tweeted out moments ago, no Kevin Durant for the trip to Los Angeles and no DeAndre Ayton for Still the trip out, huh? to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, that hip. Uh-huh. Got that hip injury. Hips don't lie. uh (laughs) Hips do not lie. Hips don't lie. And I'm not going to lie to you either. When I saw him sustain that injury against Orlando and saw the stories of him limping out of the building, I thought, yeah. Look, and DeAndre, I'll give him credit. Since Kevin Durant's arrival, I think he's played through a couple of things that maybe he normally wouldn't play through. But this one must be bad enough that he can't give it a go. And that, uh, again, we talk about navigating this stretch. And we talk about you and I not being worried about the stretch overly that we're just concerned about getting Kevin Durant back healthy and seeing what you got when that happens. That being said, surviving this stretch and giving yourself the best seed possible is difficult when DeAndre Eaton can't play, right? Like it's 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 the, one of the toughest schedules remaining in the NBA. We talked about that earlier in the show, and it makes it more difficult when DeAndre Eaton is not available. Listen, I don't think, minutes. you know, without the depth that they used to have, they, the margin for error on any of their top guys is very slim. You know, an injury to Booker or Paul or DA or KD, I think, you know, probably takes you 
out of contention for a championship. I mean, they need those four guys. Like, they need those four. Could they sustain an injury to Damian Lee? Yeah. Could they sustain an injury to, you know, you start to talk about the valuable, you know, who's that? One of the backup centers, Landell, Bismack, Miambo. Yeah, they could, you know, there's other guys. How about, you know, Josh Okogie? Well, he's your best on the ball defender. He may, he may be a little bit more valuable than we realize. So he might be in that top list of guys. But the margin for error is very slim now as far as the injuries because they just don't have the quality of depth that they used to have. Yeah, and when talking about guys that can ill afford to lose, guys who are maybe more valuable than others, I think that's the big question that we've got about Landry Shamit. And, and we had a little bit of a conversation about Landry yesterday, and I think we're going to dive a little deeper right now, and we're going to have Landry on the show coming up in about 40 minutes or so as he'll join us as the Suns take on the Lakers tomorrow. Uh, today on Bright Side of the Sun, there was a story that echoed a lot of what we talked about with Landry yesterday, how he might low-key be a very important contributor to the Suns down the stretch and in the postseason run because he is truly one of the few guys on this roster outside of the big four. He's one of the guys on this roster who can give you a lift on both ends of the floor. Just about everybody else is a specialist either defensively or offensively. When he's at his best, Landry Shamit can do a little bit of both well and the Suns could really use somebody out there who can be an offensive and a defensive player as opposed to just one or the other. Yeah, we know he's a good floor spacer. He shoots the ball well. you got to be aware of where he is on the court. He missed a couple of months of action. Was it 25 or 26 games? And he looked pretty good in his first game back. He did look pretty good. Now, there are times that, I mean, like Terrence Ross, we've seen it. I love his ability offensively, but he's not a good defensive basketball player. He's very, very weak. You know, Landry gives you a little bit of both. I mean, he could, if he can score, and that's been an issue in the past, but he's been known as a pretty good scorer. If he shoots the ball and scores, he's a better option for you than Ross. He's a better option than you for than a lot of the guys on the bench that may be more one-dimensional because he's a little bit more versatile. Yeah, and that's the key phrase, one-dimensional. It's just that so many of the guys the Suns have, whether it's T.J. Warren or Damian Lee or Terrence Ross, one-dimensional but offensively. Guys like Josh Akogi, guys like Ish Wainwright. It's, it's a little unfair to put Josh Akogi in that category because offensively he has taken great leaps, but he's still I think there's a trust issue with him in you know how many shots he gets and whether he truly is an offensive option for the Suns or not. He's obviously shown flashes, but that's the, the, the problem is that it's all one-dimensional. Now, are we comfortable putting that much on Landry Shamit's plate going into the postseason? Do we have much of a choice? I know this from a salary standpoint, if you're just were looking at the payroll for the Phoenix Suns. Is he the next highest paid guy after the Big Four? Oh, yeah, absolutely. At $10 million a year? Almost has to be. I'll look it up just to be sure. I, think I can't imagine the, yeah, he's not. There's so many guys that are at the minimum. There's like, I've got like seven guys at the minimum. I think after the Big Four, I think he's at about nine or ten. I think he's 9.5. I'm not looking at anything, but I think he's 9.5. So I think he's the next highest paid guy. Boy, your memory. I tell you, sometimes you're amazing. I have nothing in front of me. The things that you remember. 9.5 million. You can't remember. The is next just, highest paid guy. And there's like five or six guys that are minimum. And a, sometimes you can't remember something I said in the same segment as you. Uh, you, you can remember Landry Shamit's salary off the top of your head. It's yes. a miracle. That ain't that something? Ain't that something? Ain't that something, DeAndre, that, that Gambo can just like that? 9.5 mil? Uh, Kevin Durant, 44. Devin Booker, 33.8. DeAndre, 31. Chris Paul, 28.5. Landry Shamit, 9.5. The next closest one is... 9.5. No, after him. Oh, after him? What's the next closest? Try to guess. The player or the number? 
The, the number. The number's like five? Six. Six? Six. Made by? Tori Craig? Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne. Okay. Then Tori Craig. Then Baisley. <clears throat> then you got a bunch of minimum guys. So, I guess there's... Well, yeah, I mean, Shamit's nearly two times as much as Cameron Payne is. Yeah, so if, you, if I were just to show you this... You say, okay, here's the Phoenix Suns team payroll. Who do you need to be the fifth guy to stand out beyond your big four? If I were to just look at this, I would say Landry Shabbat. You know, I, I, I still, I think it's a tie or maybe just a little bit of Landry Shamit ahead of Cameron Payne. But I think Cameron Payne's a value. He's, because you know he's going to play. He right, like he's your he, backup point. He guard. has to play unless you go point book, which I don't think they'll do a lot. And that's and that's why he is forced into being an important player for the Suns because you're gonna like Shamit. You can say, you know what? It's not your night. Let's go with Damian Lee. It's not your night. Let's go with this guy or that guy. You don't have the luxury of that flexibility with Cameron Payne. You you have to I play just, him. I just don't think they lose basketball games. In which Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul play well. Durant goes for thirty-five. Book's got thirty-two. Paul has seventeen assists. I just don't think they lose games. I think so. I, I like th- this whole like all these role players and how they fit in. Like I know it's 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 somewhat important, but it's not the reason that they're going to win or lose a playoff series. I'd agree with you to a point. I think you could interchange Aiton or Paul as the third guy, but other than that, I would agree with you. Like I would say, as long if Devin Booker plays three well, out of the four. if three out of the four play right. well, they're fine. So Landry Shamit goes off. He hits four three pointers. He's got eighteen points, but uh, Devin Booker's four or seventeen from the floor. That's they're going to lose. Like their best players have to play well in the playoffs, and that's Durant and Booker and Paul, and to a certain extent, I, Da. I I, I agree. But we, as we've seen in every playoff series, a game or two. At, but but you know what? Sometimes those games or two matter. I mean, Cameron Payne in Game Two against the LA Clippers two years ago that mattered. That was that was. Now they didn't have Chris Paul that day, but that mattered very much how he played in that game. And and one of those role players, be it a Kogi, be it Lee, be it Shamit, they will they will win a game for you in the series. It might not be the reason why you win the series, but certainly a reason why you've won one of the four in the series. I do think you absolutely have to count on those guys for those moments in the series. I agree with you. The overarching, you look at a seven-game series, yeah, it's going to be KD, Book, Aiton, and Paul. Those are going to be the reasons why you win or lose. But a game within the series, you're going to need contributions from those guys. Yeah, and that's what you debate. You look at all the different lineups and, you know, who's going to play Landale or Biz, Damian Lee-ish, Wayne Wright, Josh Okoji, or Landry Shaman. Monty's got to figure that stuff out now, and he's trying. That's why you can tell with the substitutions. That that's why I played so many guys in the last game. He's trying to figure out which guys are going to be worthy of playoff minutes. Yep. When we come back on the Burns and Yambo show, just like that, it's 4 o'clock, which means it's time to get you caught up on everything going on in sports. 4 o'clock reset is next here on Burns and Gambo.